did it just open the door for us to create way more value for our audience and community because we can now create the things we couldn't create before. Welcome to the Marketing AI Show, the podcast that helps your business grow smarter by making artificial intelligence approachable and actionable. You'll hear from top authors, entrepreneurs, researchers, and executives as they share case studies, strategies, and technologies that have the power to transform your business and your career. My name is Paul Reitzer. I'm the founder of Marketing AI Institute, and I'm your host. Welcome to episode 27 of the Marketing AI Show. I'm your host, Paul Reitzer, along with my co-host, Mike Kaput, who is our chief content officer at Marketing AI Institute and the co-author of our book, Marketing Artificial Intelligence, AI Marketing in the Future of Business. So, Mike? How's it going? Good. We haven't been in the office this week, so I don't, I haven't seen you for a few days. (laughs) (laughs) Just virtually. Yeah, yeah. Um, so today's episode is brought to you again by our Piloting AI for Marketers series, which is now live and on demand. Mike and I spent a good portion of the last three months of our lives creating that series. And I guess probably the 10 years prior to that, I feel like. So, um, yeah, I, I check out that series. It's, so it's designed as a step-by-step learning journey for marketers that are trying to understand and adopt AI, uh, really, you know, starts from the beginning of an intro to it goes through state of the industry walks you through how to identify pilot projects, prioritize problems to solve with AI. And then like Mike takes you through this great journey of like advertising and communications and SEO and analytics and all these different areas of marketing where AI is going to be prevalent and looks at, you know, use cases, technologies. So it's 17 courses. You can take it in a day. It's eight hours, put it on one and a half times speed. You'll get it done in whatever that math comes out to five hours, six hours. So you can literally learn everything you need to know about AI and, uh, drive that transformation in your organization, your career, um, starting now. So pilotingai.com, you can learn more about that. It is, like I said, available on demand. You can binge it in a weekend. Uh, so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Mike and he's going to hit our three topics. So again, if you've never joined us for our weekly, Mike kind of curates the big news of the week, picks three things we're going to talk about. Uh, we chat about those. Sometimes we do a rapid fire at the end today. I think we're just going to probably stick it to the three topics. Um, and uh, and kind of go from there. All right, Mike, it's all yours. Great, thank you. So first up, you are again in the news, um, <laughs> Paul. You you ran a head to head test of AI writing tools, and you posted about it on Twitter and LinkedIn. And what's really cool is not only what we'll get to in the post, but on both platforms, um, your post kind of blew up, getting a ton of attention from a lot of AI companies, um, business leaders, executives. And in your experiment, you ran the same three prompts or use cases through a handful of different tools. And these tools were OpenAI's ChatGPT, uh, OpenAI's Playground functionality, Cohere, Jasper, Writer, and HyperWrite. So Do you want to tell us a little bit more about this experiment, the results of it, what you were trying to learn from it? Yeah. So it's one of those things that just happened organically. So I I don't remember the exact sequence, but I would say like Friday night, you know, I'm laying in bed thinking about the the Institute for starting point. Like, you know, we're not fully utilizing these tools yet. Like we obviously know all about what's going on in the AI writing tool space. We talk about it all the time. But we haven't necessarily operationalized what is our plan to either scale up content, to enrich the content we're creating. Like we didn't, we don't really have a strategy yet per se. We're just experimenting with the tools like many other people. 
but also understanding the power that they have and that it could be transformative to our business because largely the Institute is a media company. First and foremost, we publish content to educate people about artificial intelligence. So it started with, okay, I have to more deeply understand how these different tools work. What's the difference between them? Which ones do we want to scale our Institute with as a starting point, I guess. Um, but to do that, I had to really understand, you know, what, how they worked and what the differentiation was between them. Um, the other things that we started looking at was more around like consulting, you know, people come to us now and ask us for guidance on this and it's a, kind of a practice area that's emerging for us is starting to do more work at helping people figure out how to pilot and scale language tools, um, you know, specific area within their organizations. Uh, and then it's just an area like, again, people come to us all the time asking opinions on this stuff. And I felt like, well, we just got to go deeper on it. And then there was a, there was actually a blog post from Cohere. So if people aren't familiar with Cohere, it's actually like a company that builds language models. So Writer, HyperWrite, Jasper, a lot of these other AI writing tools are built on the backbone of GPT-3 from OpenAI. So they use a language model that isn't theirs to basically build an interface and build the capabilities on top of. Cohere builds their own language model. And so like, I wouldn't say OpenAI and Cohere are necessarily competitors. I'm not sure that I would consider them that, but they do, they're more like the platform company that's building these capabilities and then people build on top of it. So I thought, well, if I can go into OpenAI and play around with it in the playground and in chat GPT, if I could go into Cohere and play around with it, then I, I can maybe understand it. So I was reading this article from Cohere about how the language model works, how you can set these different parameters to determine how creative the outputs are going to be. I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. Like I, I'm starting to really get a deeper understanding of it. Let me just go in and experiment. So I think I messaged, I don't remember at what point I messaged you, Mike, but it was, I think it was Saturday morning. Hmm. You know, going back to 2015, Mike and I did this project at my agency called Project Copy Scale. And it was an internal initiative to say, like, basically, how do we scale up content creation? And back then, the question was, like, can AI help us do that? Can it write content for us? And so what we learned back in 2015, 16 was no, it, it actually can't. We were not at the point where AI could really write content for us unless we programmed it specifically to do certain types of things like analytics reports. So I messaged Mike and I said, I, I think it's time for copy scale 2.0, like large language model edition. Like we, we need to revisit this idea from seven years ago and say, where are we at now? We know the answer that it can actually create this content now. But what does that mean? Was kind of the bigger picture. So, yeah. So I, I don't know, just like a Saturday morning, afternoon, I dive in a few hours. I, I just randomly come up with three prompts. One of them I needed to create an um, ad copy for Amazon for our book. So I was, I was launching a campaign for our book on Amazon, uh, under their sponsored products. And I was like, well, I could write this or I could see if they, you know, these tools can write it. So that was one of them. I did, uh, an outline for an ebook. So we're working on a series of AI blueprints. And so I picked one of those and said, create me an outline for AI for this. And gave a few other parameters on the prompt and saw what it did. And the other one I was playing with was, uh, um, create an agenda for marketing AI conference. So it was like very different prompts. Like it wasn't just writing a blog post on this. I was trying to like see what it's actually capable of and how it output. And so that was really it. it and I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I was honestly just experimenting and then I did it. And then I like took a break and stepped away and I went upstairs and was hanging out with my family and stuff. And I was like, what did I just learn? Like, I don't even know. I'm not even sure what I just experienced, but I just started jotting it down. What my initial reactions were to what I had learned. And that was what 
led to the LinkedIn poach, which maybe we could, you know, we could kind of cover a few of the key findings I, I noted in the Twitter feed and the LinkedIn post. Um, but that was really it. It was just more of this spur of the moment. I, I had the urge to like figure this out. And so I dove in and started playing around with it. And in that process arrived at, it was like five or six quick points that I wouldn't say are overly profound, but they obviously certain sort of hit, hit, hit with home with a lot of people because it did lead to a lot of responses and comments and engagement, which was great. And it kind of like helped me form my own thoughts a little bit more. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. It really did seem to resonate with a lot of people in a lot of different areas of business. And I think that's just because everyone is trying to figure this out as well. And I think that, you know, in, we may be somewhat close to it sometimes and think certain points are obvious, but I don't know how obvious they are sometimes to everyone just learning about this stuff, you know, from a, a week or two ago when, when, yeah. we, when Chat GPT came out. Well, and, it, out. It, it is a lot of, you know, I saw, I think one of my friends said something like, you know, there's a lot of kind of like AI amateurs mm. stating opinions about what's happening in AI. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Like, I do think we just, it's important for all, anyone who has an experience or an insight to share it. Um, but I think the point he was trying to make is like, there's a lot of people commenting in an authoritative way about a topic that they didn't know anything about till two weeks ago. And so you have all this like mass race for everyone to have a point of view all of a sudden on AI when they may have no fundamental knowledge of what a large language model is, how it works, the history of them. And I think it's important and maybe that's part of the, hopefully the value we're creating through these podcast episodes is to maybe give a little more context as mm -hmm. to what is going on right now and why it matters and what could be coming next. And I think that's what a lot of people are missing in the commentary they're probably seeing online and what I was kind of trying to like restate in the LinkedIn post that got turned into a Twitter th thread. So one thing that really jumped out to me is uh, the comment you or takeaway you had about the chat GPT style interface is going to become the default interface for all writing solutions. Having to click around and test a bunch of templates already feels outdated. I just want to ask a question or prompt an action and get an output. Can you tell me a little bit more about that thought? Yeah, I think I've used the analogy of like Boolean search versus Google search as like an example. Like with Boolean, you had to know what you were asking, there were certain inputs that needed like quotation marks and symbols and things to like, so to get the result you wanted, it took effort. Like there was just work that had to go into it. And if you've used any of these AI writing tools, and again, many of them are great. Like we, we use them in our business. Some of them are partners of the Institute and they're, it, it's awesome. Hmm. Well, what happened, I think though, is like a lot of them were built, almost all of them that I can think of actually are built where there's like these templates or pre-trained models. And it's like, okay, I want, my case, I want an Amazon ad. So the first thing I do is I go into their template library and say, is there a template for Amazon ads? No. Okay. There's a Facebook ad template. All right. Maybe that'll get me where I want to go. So I go in, I click into the Facebook ad. This is the exact thing that happened. By the way, on Saturday, I was doing this. Um, I go into the Facebook ad thing. Then it wants like, what's the product? It's like, okay, fine. Like I put that information in and then it would ask for like, a description or something of what you wanted. And it's like, okay, now I'm having to think like, I don't know, like that, that's kind of why I'm doing this is I don't want to have to think about what I'm going to say. So like there was effort to, to put these inputs in, to get the output 
I wanted. Mm-hmm. And it felt like there was friction at that point. Like I had used ChatGPT many times already. I knew that in ChatGPT, once I got, of the, you know, again, six, I was evaluating. Once I got to testing ChatGPT for this function, I was simply going to put into it, I would like an Amazon ad, 200 characters or less, whatever it is, about yep. the Marketing Artificial Intelligence book. Done. Go. Generate. There was no other inputs. I didn't have to like, go search for information and write the draft for it and then have it restart. So in that moment, I was like, wow, yeah, I can't imagine a world in the future where I'm going to have to like filter through libraries and templates and like, because eventually you're going to have dozens or hundreds of templates. Like they all have dozens already. It's going to be in the hundreds. And when I know that ChatGPT already has the capability for me to just tell it, write a blog post, write an ad for Facebook, right? I just tell it what I want. Mm-hmm. And then I give it as little information as I want. I can expand that information if I'd like, but it's still going to produce an output for me if I don't give it a lot, right? An Amazon ad about the marketing artificial intelligence book by Mike and Paul. Yep. And it's going to come back with something. And then it's like, well, that was, that's okay. All right, let me just finish right. And I may take it and tweak it and maybe like 50% of it, I'm going to write myself. But at least I got to the output in three seconds instead of three minutes. And it might not seem like a massive thing to like have to spend three minutes putting a bunch of inputs into the prompt, but it feels like archaic mm-hmm. after you've used just give it the prompt, like chat GPT style. So that was my first takeaway is like, wow, all of these tools are going to have to eliminate the friction completely. Like people aren't going to be willing to do that much work to get an output when they know you can just give a voice or text prompt and get exactly what you want. Right. So you're saying that we're likely going to see all of these AI writing solutions gravitate towards a more chat GPT like conversational interface versus templates doing outlining description and prompting it more strictly in the way you described. Yeah, it's already happening. Like HyperWrite came out with theirs. Yeah. I think last week Jasper came out with theirs today. So we're recording this on December 20th. Jasper announced this morning Jasper chat. So they know it like they felt they feel it too. They live in the product. As hmm. soon as you had Chat GPT as like an interface, it's like, oh, okay, this is different. This is simpler. So, I mean, again, I'm not saying templates are obsoleted completely, and like what anybody's built doesn't matter anymore. Hmm. It's just one person's opinion. But the difference seems so dramatic that I can't imagine the user experience going back to that. Like having to search. It's almost like it's almost like if you've like we use Google Docs, like Google Drive. Yep. I'd be like going in and having to click through seven folders to find the doc I wanted instead of just typing in a keyword from the doc and having the doc show up. Like those seven clicks drive me insane. It may only take me 12 seconds, but I don't want to have to click through folders. I just want to tell, I just want this doc and that's the doc that shows up. And I think that's the difference is like people are are used to immediate gratification when you can give something a prompt to tell what you want. And I think that's just inevitable where this is going to go very quickly. That's interesting. And, you know, that kind of begs the question is you talked about in uh, your post and in the thread, you know, you said if you lead a content team, a content agency or a media company, these AI writing tools will transform your staffing operations and production. You have to prioritize defining your roadmap in early 2023. What kind of questions do we think heads of content, leaders of content teams, 
businesses that rely heavily on content should be asking? Well, I know what they are asking because I've had like three companies tell me this this week already. Uh, do we need all the writers we have on staff? Like to, the immediate assumption when you see it, either hear about what Chat GPT does, see a demo of it, or see like a clip on social, or try it yourself. Mm -hmm. I totally understand, sympathize with the immediate reaction being, "Wow, we don't need our twenty writers anymore. Could, couldn't we use five and get the same level of output, or better, or more?" And it's a valid question. Like I don't, I don't um, challenge anyone for for having that thought in their head. Um, I don't think it's the right thought, but I, I understand why it would be the first thought. So I think the, the organizations that develop a deeper understanding of how this stuff works, what the limitations of it are, what it's capable of outputting, what it, like, we, like we were doing with our own project copy scale internally, we only have like the two of us are the main writers, um, and largely you're the writer, um, but we're the content creators. I'm not sitting here saying, well, how do we reduce the need for both of us to write content? Right. I'm looking and saying, wow, like what are all the things we've wanted to create over the last six years that we've never found the time and energy to create? How much more efficiently could we do that now? Like, mm -hmm. is, did it just open the door for us to create way more value for our audience and community because we can now create the things we couldn't create before? We had, we had this um, recently, you and I were, collaborating on an internal project for, for a blueprint, like an ebook, a digital book. And we went through our usual process, like build our own outline, did our own research, whatever. And then at the end, it's like, all right, let's throw this into Jasper. Let's throw it into writer. Let's throw it into, you know, open AI player, whatever. And let's see what it would have created. So we did our thing first. Then we went through and said, are we missing anything? And you go through, you create these output. It's like, maybe there was something in there. Maybe there wasn't, but they were, they were interesting. They were good. And they were really, really fast. And so I could definitely see for us, you know, the other point I, I make in here is, you know, I think good to great writers are just going to find ways to let AI enhance the process, outlines, ideation, inspiration, average writers or not good writers are going to use it to write the drafts. Yep. So I would put you and I probably in the good to, to great writer category, like certainly more advanced writers than the average marketer. That's what we do for a living. Both came out with that background. I don't see AI replacing my process at all for writing, mm -hmm. but ideating more and more, I could totally see that. Like I want to write a post about this, draft me an outline or right. give me a list of the key points I should address in this post I'm writing or a script for a podcast or like whatever it is. I could absolutely see using it in that sense and then maybe have it like assess my language, like simplify it now or, or like make this a seventh grade level because I tend to write at a more like higher level and I, I shouldn't, like I should simplify my, my language a lot and I'm not good at it. So it's like, okay, let the AI do that because it's good at it. Um, so I think what you have to do is you have to look at your team, your organization, you have to look at the capabilities of the people on that team and say, how are we going to use AI writing tools for our team? Do we have 50% of them are average writers and this is going to make them good to great writers? Then the adoption for them is going to be different. Do we have five amazing editors? They're going to use the tool totally differently than a writer would. So yes. all I'm saying is people need a plan. They need to understand what the tech is, how it works, what it's capable of today, what it probably is going to be capable of by the middle of 2023. And they need to seriously think about their operations, their staffing, and their production. 
just like we're doing um, at a smaller scale. So that was that was my main point is like, just don't wait, like start thinking about this now. I'm not saying you're going to change your whole thing around next year and, you know, switch up your staff and have to reskill everybody in three months, but you better be at least thinking about it in that time period. Yeah. And I think we've seen in the last month with the developments of tools like ChatGPT, whereas in the past, you and I might have said this same advice, you know, a year or two ago, this coming year is when your executive team is going to start asking about that. 100%. I've gotten that call a bunch of my, hey, our board said this, my CEO wants that um, from people who didn't three weeks ago care about AI. Now, yeah. now it's like, it's the thing they have to solve for and they don't know where to go. And they don't even have, maybe don't even have someone internally to turn to. Like they're not even sure who on their team mm-hmm. has any knowledge of this or can figure it out. But yeah, I agree. I think, and we, I think we talked about this on a previous episode. Chat GPT made AI awareness a mainstream thing. Now, comprehension we're a ways off from, mm-hmm. adoption we're even further off from, but it made it top of mind for a lot of organizations. So pivoting slightly, still Chat GPT related, but I wanted to unpack maybe some of the bigger ripple effects of this technology. So, for example, there's a lot of examples online of what ChatGPT can do. And a lot of it that we've seen is really impressive. You know, there's writing of all, people are writing all different types of text and generating all types of content. But in addition, they're also doing things like generating outlines, like you mentioned, doing research, answering complex questions, surfacing information. And while it's not always all accurate today, some of it's been really, really impressive, in my opinion, of what it's been able to produce. And this has led to some serious online conversation asking the following question, will chat GPT or something like it replace Google search? Because today, like, you know, you're not getting accurate information with citations, but you look at what this tool can do and you can start imagining a future where instead of me going and hunting down information via search engine, why can't chat GPT or something similar serve me up the answer to my question immediately? And if I wanted to give me citations, links to go verify the information's correct, I mean, you really could imagine a potential future that comes to pass where you're using a chat GPT-like interface to do everything you would for a search engine. And in my mind, gaming that out, it seems like the implications to search would be pretty immense. Like, if that feature came to pass, you wouldn't really be spending a bunch of time clicking through to content on websites. You wouldn't have that much reason to, say, go to a blog, go consume a piece of content designed to attract you via search. Um, it would have a huge impact on content marketing and SEO. I mean, organic traffic to your website based on keywords, backlinks, that would no longer be nearly as relevant in a world where this stuff was integrated into a search product or placed one. So I kind of wanted to get your take given some of the chatter I've seen in the space. I mean, do you think that's a possibility? What do you think the odds are that a chat GPT or something like it replaces or fundamentally changes search? I I mean, I I don't see how it doesn't have an effect on the future of search, but I think we touched a little bit on this concept when, you know, episode or two ago when we first talked about chat GPT, I, I, I wouldn't bet against Google. It was like my main 
feeling right now? I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I've talked to some people and tried to gather some opinions. I follow like Margaret Mitchell was, you know, had a, a good thread on it. Saw another one this morning related to, you know, how it's unrealistic that search moves to this um, beyond the reasons Margaret gives, which we can touch on is the, the, um, the energy consumption and the cost. Like, mm -hmm. so the cost, I, I don't know if they've publicly shared yet. I've only seen like guesses and Sam Altman himself said it was, I think close to like under 10 cents, but per output, um, but still a significant cost for each query you put in or each prompt you give chat GPT, it costs a lot of money, relatively speaking, to generate those responses. Yep. I've seen some estimates that it's like $3 million a day that OpenAI is burning on, on these, you know, free searches, basically, or free prompts. So because the way the model works at the moment, it seems very cost prohibitive that something like ChatGPT would just all of a sudden replace search. And then the points Margaret makes around page rank. So hers is specifically around, you know, the history of search used to just be and history search like the late nineties, um, when Google was formed, yeah. um, that it was just like, I search for this, these words, this page appears to have those words in the closest sequence or order. So it seems like it's a match to what I was searching. And then Larry and Sergi come along and, and they basically build Google. And we tell this story actually in our book, um, based on citations being the key thing. And so if, if all of these pages link to that page and that page probably has more authority. And so her point was like, it's really hard to replicate that, that val value proposition of citations and page rank. Right. Because that was my, t I read her thread three times and I still wasn't a hundred percent sure what, it, what exactly the argument was. So I'm like, I probably should put that in context, but exactly. it seemed like that was the argument she was primarily making is that page rank and citation still matters for you to trust the result and chat GPT doesn't have that. There is no citation. There is no verification of fact through any transparent means. It's just a prediction of what the words in the paragraph or sentence should be based on its learning data, which we don't know. So yeah. I think there's technical obstacles. I think there's energy and cost obstacles. And I think there's an obstacle of Google isn't stupid and they likely have more powerful technology sitting in their research labs or maybe sitting in within Google search already. And like, we just don't even see it, but I, I just can't fathom that Google doesn't have an action plan right now. Yeah. You would have to think and what you were referencing a thread from AI researcher, Margaret Mitchell, who is breaking down kind of why today chat GPT can't really replace Google search. And yeah, to your point, I mean, I think there's a lot to unpack with what she said. From my understanding, she basically is saying that GPT, chat GPT is in a stage that's similar to the early days of web search. Yes, it can give a lot of information. No, there is not a great match between what you want and useful or reliable results. Now, she thinks eventually we will get there, but it's going to take a fundamentally different approach to how chat GPT or something like it is trained. So presumably, either something like that or incorporating that idea into potentially search is what Google is working on, but it would be interesting to see. They can't have gotten, I would imagine, caught blindsided yeah. by this. Well, and, and we've talked about this before, but I also go back to just like, so chat GPT learns 
from the corpus of knowledge on the internet. Corpus of knowledge on the internet was created in large part because there's incentives for individuals, individual writers and publishers and brands to create content that people find organically to arrive at their site, try to write site traffic. So if Google doesn't exist, search doesn't exist in its current form, the motivation to create content that drives people to click on a link to land on your website is almost gone, mm. which then removes the training data that enables ChatGPT to, to exist. So like ChatGPT exists because the internet exists in the form it does because search exists in the form it has for the last two decades. So that's, I think I just can't wrap my brain yet around all the dominoes here. Right. That there's just, but at the same time, I also can't look at what we've now know over the last few weeks and say the future looks anything like the past. I just don't know what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the wisest take here, right? We always get <laughs> that if someone's telling you what it's going to look like five years from now, they're making it up. Because oh, totally. Crazy. <laughs> the 100%. Industry. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the real key for people. And again, if you're, if you're early in your career and you haven't learned this yet, nobody knows anything. Like <laughs> the people who are the experts, they, they have more experience and knowledge, but like even look at AI in this space, like we've been studying it for 10 years, looked at, you know, probably over a thousand vendors. We've talked with entrepreneurs, researchers, you know, people within the research labs, like about as much knowledge as I could imagine having gained over the last 10 years. And yet there are many times where I still like, I have no idea. Like I can maybe make a better educated guess than most marketers at what's going to happen, but that's all it is. And, and I take some solace in like, if you go back and look at major predictions around AI over the last, I mean, you can go back 70 years, but take the last 10 in particular, mm -hmm. the, some of the, the brightest minds in AI today, like the, 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 the absolute leaders in the space have been wrong over and over and over again around when they thought major AI milestones would happen. Yep. They've overestimated, they've underestimated. So that's why I say like, nobody actually knows what's going to happen. Um, I just think some people have more insights based on how close they are in proximity to what's being created. But even then they're just trying to project out what could happen as a result of this innovation. But it is, it's a great time to be trying to figure it out because we just need more people thinking about it related to their own specific knowledge set and domain. Yep. Because that's where the opportunities lies to figure out what it means to you and to your company. Absolutely. So for our third and final topic here today, this is a fun one, I mm -hmm. think. Um, so a company called MyHeritage, it's a discovery platform that helps you find people related to you. So think like a 23andMe. I think you take a DNA test, use it to do genealogy, family research. They just released a free tool called AI Time Machine. And you upload a photo of yourself and an AI creates hyper-realistic avatars of you in different historical time periods. So you can show yourself in prehistoric times, ancient Egypt, modern times. There's all sorts of black and white photos that look like they're from like the 1940s. It's just a cool little twist on this hyper-popular photo app concept, like Alenza, which we've talked about. And the reason I mention it is for a couple of reasons. One, it's just getting a ton of buzz. I think it's another interesting example of AI becoming really accessible to show people exactly 
what uh, it is capable of and kind of blow them away. Now, there's a lot of people using these, testing these out. I saw a lot of journalists trying it out uh, recently. But also, I think it's an interesting marketing strategy because my heritage has also released multiple AI tools that have gotten a ton of buzz. And obviously, we're talking about it. So it's working too. So I guess first, I wanted to kind of ask, do you just anticipate these types of like consumer image AI apps, just like really accessible consumer apps to become kind of super popular moving forward? Yeah, I mean, that definitely, I mean, we're a marketing show and an AI show, I guess a marketing AI show, but the marketer in me, first and foremost, is just like applaud, like yeah. just brilliant marketing. So, you know, I, if people don't know my background, I started HubSpot's first agency. So like PR 2020, my agency, I started in 2005, became HubSpot's first partner in 2007. So we were there in the early days when Dharmesh Shah created the website grader and launched website mm -hmm. grader as a lead gen vehicle for HubSpot, which has been used millions of times and generated millions of leads through the years. And all they did was created a tool. Like in that case, it was a value-based tool. Um, that's all my heritage has done here is like they looked right. at AI and said, cool, how do we create some like viral tool that people either find fun, interesting, maybe there's some emotion tied to it. And so good on them as marketers to just look and say, what are we capable of doing to market our brand that we couldn't do before? And so, yeah, I mean, they had the, what is the, um, the one where you could animate. So they, yeah, deep nostalgia, I think they called it. Yes. where you could animate and then they did live story where you could actually synthesize voices. If you had a deceased relative's voice, you could train a synthetic voice on it and then animate the photo. So if you like your kids never met the grandparent, yep. you could actually bring a photo to life and have it in the voice. Like creepy as hell. I don't know that I would do it. Like it kind of like gives me the heebie-jeebies a little bit, but brilliant. And I'm sure it's wildly successful. So I think that that's my, my first take is it's genius marketing. Kudos to them for doing it. They obviously have someone on that team, which we should probably try and get on the show yeah. who must be the brains behind this, who's looking at AI and saying, and I think that is maybe the greatest takeaway here is what did they do to uh, infuse AI into their marketing mm -hmm. and what lessons can we learn as brands and as marketers to to do the same? What is the opportunity for us to create something that's a hook or a lead gen magnet or a value creation that can draw people in and build an audience? Um, but in their case, it's just brilliantly connected to their actual brand and value proposition. Like it's, it's so well done. I, I don't know who the marketer is behind this, but I would like to. Yeah. I thought what was really cool, even going one level further on the marketing genius here is if you think about it, I mean, I don't know anything about the genealogy space, but you got to figure one of the bigger barriers is people sometimes just don't care enough to go yeah. do that kind of research, right? There's obviously people very passionate about it, but if you sit someone down who's not super into that space, it's just like, okay, like, you know, look at a bunch of old documents about maybe a photo or two, if you're lucky, yeah. of like very old relatives, this like makes this experience something completely mind-blowing. Yep. It changes the game and just really connects in a way to their off. It tr probably transforms in some way their space itself and how you might even be doing certain genealogical research or investigation moving forward. Yeah. And I, interesting potential there. I agree. And I think 
again, it's like, once you understand what AI is capable of, you need to connect the dots in your own career and business. Mm -hmm. Like, so I don't know, you know, whatever field you're in, like, look at this and say, okay, what's the parallel to me? Like, what, what could I be doing? That would be like, so cool and out of the box that someone who doesn't understand AI would never think to do, cause you wouldn't even know it's possible. And that was one of the themes of our book is like, you just look at problems differently once you understand AI. Like once you know what you can do with language AI and vision AI and predictive modeling and stuff, you just start to think about things very differently. So if you're like, if you were on the demand gen team at MyHeritage and you're trying to like fill the funnel with leads or whatever, and you were doing it through eBooks and webinars and direct mail, whatever you were doing before. Yeah. And then someone comes along and is like, hey, why don't we make, why don't we animate dead people? <laughs> you're like, do what, dude? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> and then we'll like create synthetic voices. We'll train it on like, well, if people upload uh, recordings of their deceased relatives, and we'll train synthetic voices. <laughs> Everyone in the room's gonna be like, "Yeah, I think you need to leave." Like, <laughs> but that's that's where we're at in marketing right now. Is like, be the one in the room who has that idea where everybody else is looking at you like, "What are you talking about?" And you know it's doable because yeah. you've seen it. And you know what AI can do. So yeah, I, I love that you picked this one because I think it is a very, it's more of like a strategic, creative avenue. Yeah, um, where people need to connect some dots on their own, but they're there to be done. It's so cool. It really is. It's uh, it's pretty stunning. What we should, yeah. If, if uh, by any chance the My Heritage team listens, yeah, to if you're the episode, CMO, we'd love to. So I'm gonna look it up right as we get done here. But yeah, if you're the CMO or the brains behind this this initiative, like hit us up. We'd love to have you at the conference and get you on the podcast. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's all we got for today, Paul. Um, Thank you again for all your thoughts and thank you for your analysis. I think we learned a lot from uh, from your analysis of writing tools and also just talking through these other really exciting topics in AI. Another week in AI, man. <laughs> Such a fascinating week. space right now. <laughs> One all of right. these days we'll do the episode and at the end tell everyone it was our deep fakes or something. Yes, like that, we, should, we could do that. We, we do could that. do that. 2023, we'll create synthetic versions of ourselves. We'll do an entire episode with just our synthetic versions. Nice. <laughs> Write the script with chat GPT, yep. use Synthesia, Synthesia, whatever it is to create our synthetic versions. All right. We got, we got a plan. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks as always, everyone, for joining us. We will uh, hopefully be back again next week with three more interesting topics that uh, see what the world brings us in the next seven days. <laughs> All right, Mike. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Paul. Talk to you all soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Marketing AI Show. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you're ready to continue your learning, head over to marketingaiinstitute.com. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, check out our free monthly webinars, and explore dozens of online courses and professional certifications. Until next time, stay curious and explore AI.